should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we like it hot anyways. My name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, whose bid to buy MySpace was just accepted. Benedict, what's your favorite ready-to-eat food product? Oh, as in like just something I don't have to do anything to? Uh, maybe, let's say like minimal, minimal preparation. Uh... I don't know, like uh, probably probably some variety of spiced potato chip. If I had to say, <laughs> uh, I would say like a, a salt and vinegar, salt and vinegar kettle. You know, I know that you have like chip. weird flavors of potato chips over in the UK, like Indeed. like the shrimp chips or no, whatever it is. No, prawn cocktail. Thank you very much. <laughs> whatever the fuck is the same thing. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Benedict, but a shrimp and a prawn are the same thing. That's it's a matter of size. Is it? Uh, don't don't tell me they're actually different. They might I be think, different. I, I don't they actually, actually care. are different. Yeah, <laughs> I don't actually care. All right, if that's they're different fine. Just ride roughshod over the facts. Alex Jones is getting to you, man. <laughs> I learned it all by watching him. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I I actually recently have gotten onto these, and this is something that I, I really love. Uh, the local Asian food store mm. uh, that I go to. I mean, I say local, but it's like half an hour away from where I live. <laughs> yep. I have to drive half an that's hour to get there. That's because you live but... in fucking Missouri. Uh, yeah, that's true. To drive um, to outside Missouri to get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I recently, uh, down one of the Indian food aisles, found these boil-in-bag, ready-to-go curries. Okay, th- yeah, that's uh, good. You know what? It's an easy, you know, boil some water, toss it in there for five minutes, cut the bag open, and pour it on some rice. Sure. Great way to go. Uh, and since it's much easier to do that than make curry from scratch mm-hmm. all the time, as much as I might like to make things from scratch, uh, I've been I've been eating a lot of those, and I find they're pretty damn this good. Is, this they're is how actually... America gets you. This is ca- capitalism <laughs> is seeping. Midwestern capitalism is seeping into your oh, pores. Don't, don't pretend you don't have this exactly Indian the same food. where you are. Oh yeah, I maybe I would just go to a uh-huh. restaurant. Fine. Well, that's the other problem. I don't have any good restaurants. Yeah, that, uh, that's it again. That's how Midwestern supermarkets. I saw you tweeting about those Midwestern supermarket frozen pizza aisles, and you were Yo, like, you "This is what, nothing." It's nothing. It's nothing. You, you know, I'm already shell shocked from suburban life. Yeah, just the fucking nonstop fucking drive-throughs at every freeway exit. Mm-hmm. And, just bland nothingness as far as the eye can see Perfect. nothing gets me anymore no, nothing no, you feel uh, nothing about suburbia <laughs> these I, days i i care about nothing uh but benedict you probably know i do uh, you might but some of the folks out there uh those who do not like boil and bag ready to eat curry uh they might not know exactly what it is we do here on this program and then i will say this is a show where you go deep teeth 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 it's the german for deep Okay. To plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us? This I week? do, and it is Lula is president. 
Well, mm, Lula won he? the election, at least. <laughs> uh, Those are two different things, yeah, as I think hopefully. he might be about to um, learn. Ag- my, again, though, my hot take is that I wish people would stop fucking voting for fascists. <laughs> I will repeat <laughs> the hot too. take. This is my Patreon-only hot take. I'm now putting it on the regular show with the hope that it gets <sighs> somewhere. Stop voting for fascists. Like, Look, man. Okay, Bols- uh, okay <laughs> just quickly. Bolsonaro may still do a coup. We hope he doesn't, obviously. he tr- yeah. There was a, a, a an attempt. <laughs> there was an attempt made to stop people voting in the northeast by the very pro bolsonaro uh traffic police essentially Mm -hmm. the highway patrol were doing fucking roadblocks to stop people who would have thought cops supporting the fascist candidate but then even with that like 49 percent of the vote went to bolsonaro which is insane for the fascist Mm -hmm. candidate whose policies actively killed people during covid like what is going on talk about a polarized anyway stop voting stop voting for i beg (laughs) Please, (laughs) stop voting for fascists. With the uh, U.S. elections about a week away. People are going to vote for fascists. People are going to vote for fascists. And I already got my uh, doom spiral about the election out of way weeks ago. Mm. So I'm already already past it. I'm on to like the fifth or 28th stage of grief or, or whatever it is. Uh, so great. Yeah, people are gonna keep voting for fascists. I've that's watched the perc- I've watched the five thirty eight percentage for like percentage chance oh, of God. Senate's winning the the, the oh, Senate of uh, Democrats winning the Senate slowly slip away, and I think it's now oh. at literally fifty fifty. Oh, oh God, man. you and that fucking needle. That's you and not, that it's fucking not the needle. needle. It's a different a one. You got a date with a needle coming I, up. I, I, certainly more than one, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you? What's your hot take? Uh, my Benedict, uh, Twitter is dead. Long live Twitter. Okay. Um, and that, that's all I really have to say on that subject. Um, my beloved, my beloved is gone. It's yeah, gone. I saw... It's, gone. Uh, it's taken away from me. Elon just tweeting flat out misinformation yeah. today so that's good no 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 not, not misinformation fucking lies yeah fucking yeah. lies yeah he yeah. tweeted fucking lies um so the chief twit as he calls himself just putting fucking lies out there mm-hmm. uh being the ultimate shitlord. um i don't know how long i'm gonna end up staying on twitter i'm still there i'm still there i still tweet but i'm i'm at least the very least cutting back my twitter usage right now uh, to prepare for the inevitable when Elon lets fucking Nazis have free reign, and I'm like, okay, I gotta piece the fuck out of Twitter. Uh, so that that's how I'm coping. Yep, that's how I'm fair coping enough. Right now, and it's not good. It's not good. No, Bennett. it's not. <laughs> What's on your bookshelf? This well, week? <laughs> uh, another depressing thing is that Mike Davis died this week. Um, who mm. is a academic writer, leftist scholar. So I'm going to recommend all of his work, but in particular, uh, late Victorian Holocausts, which is... Oh, yeah? Uh, oh, yeah, Benedict? Yeah. Are you a real fan? Name six more. <laughs> <laughs> six more is tough, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do that, but um, read uh, late Victorian Holocausts. It's very good and very telling of how the British Empire behaved uh, in the late Victorian era, which is not good. In the, not great. In, not great. Spoiler, spoiler alert, not great. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, British history, not great. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, rest in power, Mike Davis. But yeah, what about you? Thanks for bringing it the fuck down. Oh, uh, yeah, I brought it down week. for Nazis are coming. I'm going to leave Twitter. Yeah, I really brought it down. Thank you. The Nazis are coming. They're though, always. Uh, this week. Always 
I'm recommending a video game because fuck you. Why do um, we even do this segment? You never take it seriously. You know, I have. And long then I said, get yelled uh, at for having not being able to come up with a book every single fucking <laughs> episode, and you're like, every oh, other week, uh, this week, every I, other week, this week, I'm recommending a recipe. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Get out of here! I'm recommending. Hey, hey, hey! Be fair. I have never recommended a no, recipe. No, but you fucking will. You're gonna run out of video games, and then you're gonna be like, <laughs> no, well, you're giving here's me a the recipe. idea. Yeah, he's like, next, next, in two weeks' time, it's gonna be a fucking recipe, or it's gonna be like, I saw some graffiti scrawled on a wall, and it made me think. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and recommend Benedict, a book. That's called you coward. a Banksy. You coward. Uh, <laughs> recommend a book. Uh, well, Benedict. <laughs> um, uh, I am a huge fan of uh, of the uh, 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 Fire Emblem series mm-hmm. of video games. Uh, uh, strategy, uh, not real-time combat. It's turn-based strategy. Um, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of those are hard to get these days unless you have like an emulator on your computer and i'm always paranoid about viruses when i go and download those from random places on the internet so i don't do that so much but but i found a game that is incredibly similar to the fire emblem series and that's probably not all that surprising since it was made by the creator Mm. of the original fire emblem series uh and it is called the vesteria saga and there are two games it's just great it's just that great if anyone who played those games before, like the ones that came out on Game Boy Advance that were awesome, I loved them. I played them so many times. It's <laughs> just like that all over again. And so I've put hours into just the, just the first of the two games I've been playing so far. And I'm, I'm only on chapter four. Wow. And I probably spent like six hours on this game so far. So that's what I'm recommending this week. Uh, and you can you can really go and waste some time there if you want to. Uh, housekeeping this week, Benedict. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes, uh, follow, and, and the the other other places, the the places and the things. Uh, follow us on the social medias at NYGBC Pod on Twitter for now, and at NYGBC Ben for now. I can't even say our our I handles know, correctly. Like, I'm so distraught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A uh, couple of updates. Couple of updates. Obviously, uh, we have the two new patron-only bonus episodes, uh, which hopefully by the time you're hearing this, they will already be released. Depending on when I release the second of the two that we did consecutively, and the next patron-only bonus topic we are going to be going on to. Obviously, now that we have con- uh, finished our review of *The Conscience of a Conservative* by Barry Goldwater is we're going to be doing some Alex Jones documentary reviews in the same style that we did uh, uh, the Glenn Beck's Boogeyman episodes Mm. with all of his coverage of his George Soros conspiracies. So I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, You should make sure and uh, become a patron if you want to check it out. And I've been meaning to do this, and I probably should uh, occasionally release some patron-only content on the regular feed because, you know, I want people to be able to hear it. And the point of the patron thing isn't, you know, we, we're not needing cash. We're not desperate for your money. It's just sort of like mm, we like to build yourself. a community like that. But I like <laughs> people to be able to... <laughs> I like people to be able to hear the stuff that we do. So I'll go and uh, find some things and maybe release some of it to the, the public at large, uh, depending on, on what looks good to put out. So, uh, on to the Spooky World New World Order this week. Benedict, we have two uh, patron inductees this week. Uh, one of whom... Maybe, world wow, world that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, maybe a returning patron, Pause. Mm. Uh, and I say maybe because we had a patron named Pause. Uh, 
Uh, and I don't remember the email address that was associated with that. Oh patron, no, it is. It is uh, a returning. The one associated is, with the new patron. It is. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I you're the one who who responds to messages on the patron stuff. That's me. So if you want to talk to so me, message us on Patreon. If you want to talk to Kevin, message him on Twitter. There you I'm, go. I'm, I'm there the you Patreon. Go. I mean, guy. they could also DM you on Twitter. Come on. That's yeah, true, yeah. slip into the Benedict's DMs. Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Depends. But pause. Patron, patrons only. <laughs> pause. You are part of our. <laughs> New World Spooky World Order. And our other new patron this week, Clifton Stuckey. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. (laughs) And of course, in addition, we have one other non-new patron inductee into the Spooky World New World Order. And that is Major Mongoose this week. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Thank you all oh so very much. Of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order... You can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity or just become a patron or get my attention with something good. That, uh, I, I, the New World Spooky World Order thing has now completely dissociated in my head from its original context. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know it is from a thing. I could not for the life of you. I th- is it from the Soros stuff? Yeah, okay, that's exactly yeah, yeah. where it was. Right, because okay. he, he was going out to commercial. He had that long roll of, I think it was like lists of organizations that Soros had given money to. Uh-huh. Like charities that Soros had given money to. And he like rolled it out all the way across the stage. And then he was like, this is what he's doing. This is his new world, spooky world. Blah, blah, blah. And then he went to commercial. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That's my okay. recollection. It might be a little off from that, but that's basically what it was. It, it, it is now, it's completely ours now. And like, oh, it is. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, Glenn doesn't own his own stuff anymore. <laughs> but Benedict, uh, why don't we begin this week? We have an Alex Jones. No, it's okay. For you. I'm all right. Thanks. No, <laughs> we're going to do it. I think we're going to do Go it. And I, I tried my best to find something that would be relevant to what we read this week. That was my okay. rule for today when I was looking for a clip to play. Um, th- there wasn't much. <laughs> That was relevant, but I think I found something that is tangentially connected. Great, that'll do. And Let's we go. will see. Let's see if you can figure it out oh, as I play God. this. But I'm going to get to our number one gigantic mega story that's bigger than anything we've ever covered. And it's because it's high. By the way, he basically says that every day. Yeah, that yeah. This is no, the that, biggest story he's ever covered. Because everything else you know. has been he's covered has been absolute wham. So Yeah, yeah. In plain view, we've known this for a long time. But now there's a mass awakening in our police and in our military and in the intelligence agencies. And it ties into the front of the Hollywood Reporter today. What happened to his voice? Wanda Chairman reveals ambitious plan to invest billions in all six Hollywood studios. That means take them over. Wang Zhan Lin, China's, quote, richest man, wants to take over the big six studios. They already have to a great extent. And that ties into what I was already going to cover today. I have entered. So is it I, is I, it China's pernicious influence in American affairs? That's the <laughs> no, okay. no, we're not there yet. Oh no! I would give anything. I would give. I would bet anything that just based on what he said there, that that ties into what I was going to talk about. Basically, someone told because he's got on his screen like an article from I don't know. It might be like the Hollywood Reporter or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just like about this this Chinese guy who wants to invest in Ch- American movie studios. That someone gave this to him like before the show started, 
and now he's like figuring out a way to weave it into the narrative. Yeah, okay. It's not at all what he was planning no. on talking about today. He has done no research. He is coming up with this on the fly live is the point of what right. I'm getting at. I've interviewed on and off air generals, spy chiefs, former spy chiefs, you name it. And the consensus is, and the evidence is overwhelming, even in mainstream news, that Hillary, Rodham Clinton is the number one communist Chinese agent in the world, <laughs> and the WikiLeaks all show that, and she's in direct contact with the president of China doing his bidding. So, you know, the WikiLeaks, they all the show Wiki that. The WikiLeaks all show Also, she was the Secretary of State, so she probably talked to the president of China <laughs> at some point. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, there's any, if there's, like, one email in the WikiLeaks that shows some communication with the president of China, or, like, referencing, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I, you know, he, he's never looked at the fucking WikiLeaks. No. He has no idea what's in the fucking WikiLeaks. We've talked about this before. Anything he needs to be in the WikiLeaks is in the WikiLeaks. Yeah. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Is it in the WikiLeaks or not? It's Schrodinger's WikiLeaks. Yep. <laughs> to the point of she was representing him to other governments as well. She's a globalist, top-level operative like Kissinger. And I'm going to explain this very simply. It's man. Huh? Okay. Sure. Huh? Yeah. Did you figure out the tie-in? Kissinger? Yeah, yeah. yeah you got the tie-in. Get to, you got the tie-in. I get to yell yeah, about Alex Jones and Kissinger today. It's my birthday. <laughs> It's not actually my birthday, but Kevin didn't get me a gift for my birthday on time. So this is a... What are you talking about? You got months worth of cheese. Yeah, like a month after my birthday, you're like, shit, cheese incoming. Okay, well, it was cheese of the month, and they send it to you the month after you order Listen, it. So it was a whole thing. This is a it was better a birthday present than that. <laughs> Mainline history taught by the Council on Foreign Relations, not taught to the general public, but taught to executives. Available if you want to know. A deal was made in the 70s to move all of our industry to China, give them all the deep water ports, all the main infrastructure, the Panama Canal, the rare earth minerals, leverage out global competition, end competition, consolidate control. Funny, Benedict. Funny he would be talking about all this going on in the 70s mm. uh, when today's chapter talks almost exclusively about the 70s um, and none of this is mentioned in the chapter we're talking about today. no he might get to it he might get to it it's possible it's possible he might get to it all right should we just do the chapter no we're gonna finish oh it oh my god through a rigged economy by putting regulations on the west but not on china dominate and then dictate the terms of economic surrender to the planet and that's why it's come out that her aide reportedly gave classified information to china it's all high treason ladies and gentlemen that's why she wears 1960s Maoist era outfits, silk outfits from China. It you, know how, how Hillary oh is, you know how Hillary's iconic outfit, the, the outfit Hillary is known for, Benedict, if I was going to say, yeah. there's an yeah. outfit that Hillary Clinton is known for. Yeah. It is 1960s <laughs> communist Chinese silk outfits. Yeah, the white pantsuit <laughs> is made of silk, for sure. For sure. It's a total message that I'm your bitch. To China. <laughs> That's where I wanted to that, end it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Everything else aside, if she is direct, if she is a known agent of the Chinese Communist government, she doesn't need to be sending subtle signals like no, wearing six. She would email them saying, "I am your bitch." Like it's it should be in well, the WikiLeaks. That's in the WikiLeaks. Yeah. That's in the WikiLeaks. <laughs> Who needs WikiLeaks when you have SilkyLeaks? I mean, come on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, let's see this Ooh, fucking book. Boy.
Well, Benedict, with all that out of the way, <laughs> we continue our book review of The Great Reset by Alex Jones, the modern-day Don Quixote without the glamour. <laughs> Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, we read the first half of chapter three, which is called Who's Responsible for This Garbage? In which the show trial of Who's Responsible for This Garbage begins without really naming names, although we no. do get a couple of names. I mean... It's sort of convenient that all the people he's naming are dead, I guess. Apart from fucking Kissinger. Which is, <laughs> Apart from Kissinger. Who well, will I never don't... die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Kissinger is necessarily part of his triumvirate oh, of no, evil. He is, he is, he is. I he mean, is. look, it's right here on the first page, so I'll just tell people right up front. The, the, the whole architect... The architects of the New World Order, Globalist, Fourth Industrial Revolution, Great Reset, include Jimmy fucking Carter. Yep. Who also will never die. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, he's close. He's probably got about a year left in him. We'll see how that goes. He could die before this podcast comes out. He's really like, he's at death's door. Yeah. He never looks good when you see him. Never looks good when you see him. What a good guy. I like Jimmy Carter. Uh, You know, there's some some bad stuff in his past. How is that? Catering to segregationists. Yeah, no. Why yep. is there always fucking something? Yep, Jesus yep. No. I mean, I feel like maybe, maybe you know, it's possible. You know, later in life, he's he's off that tip. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he like introduced a uh, anti-busing bill at one point um, when he was when he was still an active politician before he was president. Uh, but this chapter, Benedict, chapter three, this, like you said, it's titled uh, "Who's Responsible for This Garbage?" Do you have an alternate chapter title for us? I do. It's my first book review by no! Alexander Emery Jones. No, that was mine from oh, last tough. time. That's, <laughs> that's not what this fair. is. Sorry, that's my not, second book review. It's basically the same. Well, I mean, it's is it a book review or is it I the people I spoke to on my summer vacation by Alexander Emrick Jones? Yeah, but it's basically one person. Yeah, it's not it, people. It's one person. That is also true. <laughs> Uh, my alternate chapter title, uh, I went simple, Garbage on Top of Garbage, because mm-hmm. uh, that's all we're getting this week. Uh, he's still, by the way... <laughs> Who's responsible for this garbage? Me. It's me. I'm responsible. <laughs> he still hasn't explained to us what the garbage is. We still don't oh, know. No. That's oh, that. That's the theme of this chapter, as he talks about technocracy for 20 pages without defining it. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we're sort of, because he's obviously a bad writer, um, we have to put together for ourselves the thing he thought he was explaining in the previous chapter, what is the Great Reset, it's and it turns out... It's eating bugs, right? That's literally it. That's all he's upset about. I like, mean, it's I gonna think... It's going to be the eating bugs I thing. think he means... I think he thinks that it means technocracy, eating bugs, and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, sure. What he what he lied about that book saying. I think that's what he thinks it is. Is basically that the bu- the bug eating is probably the one he dislikes the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this chapter begins quote. There's probably no better expert in the world to address the origins of the fourth industrial revolution slash great reset than Patrick Wood, an economist by training, author, and lecturer who has studied the issue of globalization since the late 1970s. And at this point, Bennett, we need to put the book down for about 10 minutes because I need to tell you about Patrick Wood. Well, so. that's fine. But first of all, a better person to ask would be Klaus Schwab, who came up with sure. the term. Sure, sure. 
Oh, you know what? That probably would be true. I yeah. wouldn't disagree with you on that. First of all, but now you can go on your fucking rant, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. Go, you go uh, make some dinner, and yeah, come I might, back. Yeah, come I haven't back eaten yet. We'll see how we and, get. Yeah, we'll see where I am. Uh, so Patrick Wood Benedict uh, is not. Uh, you might be confused. The digital lead for the NPR show All Things Considered. I also googled him and found that, and was like, <laughs> that can't be right. I know, it took me a minute. It took me a minute. Uh, he is also not a St. Louis area realtor. Uh, and I mentioned both of those because uh, they showed up higher on the Google search, search results for Patrick Wood than the man that he's actually referencing here, who is Patrick M. Wood. Uh, and of course, if you put in that middle initial, you'll get better results. So uh, Patrick M. Wood does not have a Wikipedia page, a personal website, a profile in any newspaper or any other journalistic outlet. And the best I can tell is that his credentials are basically that he's been on InfoWars about four or five times, uh, which is based on the results of a Google site search that I did of InfoWars.com, and literally no other media outlets have ever given a shit about him. Even the John Birch Society's New American doesn't give a shit about him. Uh, and of course, no academic institutions seem to give a flying fuck about him either. He is... So hard to find on the internet, because basically you just get links to his Amazon page for the books right. he wrote. Yep. Uh, he is the founder of an organization called Citizens for Free Speech, which bills itself as, quote, dedicated to preserving free speech and enabling citizens to exercise their rights as guaranteed by the United States Constitution. Uh, and it's one of those outlets that I'm pretty sure will see all the visits I did to it yesterday in preparing for this episode and thinking, you know, that they're finally picking up some steam. Mm -hmm. uh, but for reference, this organization gets less than $50,000 a year in donations. I don't know the exact number because organizations that make less than that don't have to full on a, file a full 990 with the IRS. They file the 990 postcard, which mm -hmm. doesn't have the type of details I was hoping to find when I looked them up. But... It describes itself further as, quote, the premier national training and networking organization for local activists who are ready to exercise their First Amendment rights in an effective and responsible manner. And it continues a little further below that. We are the home, and this is from their website, by the way, just telling you where I'm getting this. We are the home of the Citizen Ninja Way, TM. Okay. TM, trademark. <sighs> they trademarked Citizen Ninja Way. Is, okay, I can't even <laughs> begin to guess. What that might be. Literally, like, you could give me a thousand guesses. I don't think I would get close. I don't think you would either. It continues. The Citizen Ninja Way, a method of activism that uses effective strategies, tactics, and tools, resulting in positive change at the local level. Mary Baker... I don't think you can TM that. That's fucking <laughs> activism 101. Fuck oh, off. Oh, but it's ninja activism, Benedict. It's <laughs> just ninja like activism. slapping people in the throat as you convince them of your <laughs> argument superiority. Basically, yeah. Lots of shurikens going on. Yeah. Uh, Mary Baker is the creator and facilitator of the training program based on her book, Citizen Ninja Stand Up to Power, which, I mean, that just sounds like a shitty 80s fucking action it does, yeah. movie. It sounds like the Steven third Seagal. in a series. Yes, yes, yeah. it is the third in a Steven Seagal series of that movies. That went straight to TV and no yeah. one watched. Oh, yeah. oh, no, straight to VHS. Didn't even oh, get fair. a TV. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. Continuing, get the foundation you need to engage with others civilly and confidently. Our free, all in caps, Citizen Ninja training will help you get into an empowered mindset and give you practical tips for collaborating with other like-minded community members. 
Citizen Ninja The Basics is a workshop designed for conservative Americans who recognize that they have a duty to engage in the civic process, but are unsure how to go about it, or are fearful of bully tactics being used against them. The eight-part series is self-paced and available on demand on our local activist training platform. What you'll learn. 1. The four Citizen Ninja powers. 2. How to stage your discourse. 3. Bully tactics and countermeasures. 4. How to take action. And that's... Who boy. Yeah. Who boy, lot. that's something, isn't it? Yep. So this, this Mary Baker lady who Patrick seems to do a lot of stuff with, because uh, I found her referenced on other things he's involved with. Uh, <clears throat> she is desi- uh, described on their website as follows, quote, Mary Baker is a political activist, author, and educator residing in San Diego, California. Her first book, Citizen Ninja, Stand Up to Power, <laughs> published by Ronin Publishers. Great. Is a primer on how to engage effectively in the public square. Okay. Mary it, is it a- seems like they're not, for what it's worth. It seems like no, none they really of them aren't. are. They really are. Mary is a keynote speaker covering topics such as sustainable development, civic engagement, and American governance. She has also been a guest on several radio programs, most notably conservative commentator and radio personalities Barbara Simpson, the, quote, babe in the bunker, John B. Wells, Caravan to Midnight, Kevin, I I really can't do this anymore. I really can't (laughs) hear any more about this woman. And the late Dr. Stan Monteith of Radio Liberty. Stan Monteith, I'm going to have to tell you about someday. I won't do it now, but I'm going to have to tell you about him someday. Fair enough. Following a successful activism workshop series called How to Become a Citizen Ninja, when Mary taught over 900-plus citizens how to participate in the civic process effectively, she has recently teamed up with Patrick Wood, author and commentator for Technocracy News. Together, they launched www.localactivist.org, the new home for the Citizen Ninja online activism training and networking. Benedict, if you go to that URL, you know what you get? Uh, I will never know because I'm never going to that URL. <laughs> you get a login page. Yeah. With no ability Why to actually Why am I hearing about this woman and not Patrick Wood? You were spending way too long on this random woman. You know what, Benedict? Because, because I found these people so fucking... I, I saw the word Citizen Ninja and I'm like, we're talking about fucking yeah, Citizen Ninjas, you're Benedict. Now. You're done. We're to Patrick Wood or nothing. Yes. Yeah, so, as she mentioned there in her bio, uh, Patrick Wood runs a website called Technocracy News, yep. uh, which is, of course, now, uh, his, obviously... His, I think his Twitter handle is, like, Technocracy Sucks or something. Like, uh, I, I don't have it pulled up. I did find him the other night. It's some, it might just be Technocracy News or something. I don't remember what it is, what his handle is. But he just he, his Twitter's boring. He just posts articles from his website with snarky comments above them. That's all he does. Oh, he's also insane on Twitter. Like, oh, yeah, he's batshit crazy. His replies are nuts. His replies are fucking nuts. But basically, he just tweets out the articles. Oh, and the the articles from his website are fucking nuts. I mean, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, he just tweets out the articles. Yeah, they are. That's enough. I was going to get to it, Benedict. I was going to get to it. all right, go on. Uh, so, uh, that, that other organization, right? Citizens for Free Speech, uh, they don't even have like a YouTube page or I couldn't find a Twitter handle associated with them or anything. Uh, but Technocracy News, on the other hand, yeah, there's, there's a, a prime time outlet here. Uh, they have a YouTube page and you know how much I love me some YouTube titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have videos on there with such titles as quote, how sex robots could spell the end of civilization. Um, 
Soylent Green, eating human flesh to save the planet. Great. Uh, Dr. Mercola on the impending 5G apocalypse. Um, apparently impending about three years ago when that video was posted. I think uh, that he's that crazy. Mercola is the fake person. cancer yeah. cure doctor. Also yeah, yeah, COVID yeah, yeah. denial, all the stuff, all the stuff. Yeah. Mercola is like, you know how Alex Jones is to, is to like normal conspiracy. Mercola is to medical conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of his role. Uh, and then a speech that Patrick gave to a group called Doctors for Disaster Preparedness. Which, of course, is both a COVID denial organization and an AIDS denial organization. So, that's the, the sort of stuff we get on there. But the website, I mean, it also obviously has some, some fucking gems on it, right? Uh, like this one. Not so great reset. Live in a box. Don't move. Be surveilled. Shut up. Eat bugs. Is the title of the article. I think they didn't learn about the rule of threes. Mm-hmm. I think conspiracists aren't allowed to learn about the rule of threes. Uh... There's another one on here. MRNA forever, spelled 4-EVA. Detection to injection now set at 100 days. Some COVID denial stuff on there, obviously. We've got to have yeah, some of that. There. Why wouldn't there be? It's part of the technocracy conspiracy. Yeah, obviously, obviously. And then, uh, thanks, Fauci. Test scores show historic COVID setbacks for children across all states. It's... Okay. It's the kind of stuff you would expect. There's sure. there's absolutely no surprises in there. So whatsoever. that's what this chapter is about. The man who writes all writes and publishes all these things yeah, is and, the and, focal point of this chapter. <laughs> and he really is, right? He has himself written some books. Mm-hmm. And Alex is going to be talking about those in the chapter today. And of course, they are on Amazon. Uh, there are four I was able to find that he has written. Uh, t- one titled, Technocracy Rising, The Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. His other one, Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order. And then Globalization and the Crucible of Global Banking. And his uh, magnum opus, I think, Trilaterals Over Washington, Volumes 1 and 2. And that last one there was co-written with Anthony Sutton, who is somebody history actually will vaguely remember, unlike Patrick, uh, mainly for being an Austrian economist that Ayn Rand promoted at one point and who decided somewhere along the way that he could do history, too, and wrote a bunch of really bad conspiracy books, including one that was literally called The Federal Reserve Conspiracy and a whole series of books about the Skull and Bones group, the Yale Fraternity Organization. <laughs> so that's... Um, he gets mentioned hear in the chapter him. as well, right? I think. He's mentioned in the chapter, yeah. yeah. He's... Right. he's they pretend this guy was prestigious when the best I can found, uh, nobody even wrote a fucking obituary for him. It was like his publisher who wrote his obituary and nobody nobody cared about Anthony Sutton. It's sort of sad as far as I can tell. But Alex in the book tries to build him up into like somebody important when it's really just like this guy was a fucking crank that conservative dark money got a position at the fucking Hoover Institution at Stanford. Like, that appears to be the case that happened here. All right. Well, just before we get to it, I wouldn't normally say judge a book by its cover, but I'm guessing that you, when you did your Google, you saw the cover of this guy's books, I didn't, actually. No, I didn't. Well, do a a quick Google right now, because I want you to see them. I want you to see them. Which one? Give me one. Technocracy. Trilaterals over Washington. Do that one. That's going to be the worst one. It's... Pretty great. 
It's okay. pretty great, if I'm being honest. Is it? Uh, does it have lizards on it? No. Oh, my it God. It does have lizards. It Jesus does have lizards. Jesus Christ. I was joking again. It has lizards. You did it again. <laughs> Somehow you did it again. Yeah. <laughs> It's but dragons, I think, I think, to be fair. I don't know. They look like lizards to me. Well, I dragons think it's, are just big lizards. Yeah, I think it's fair to say you can judge that book by its cover. Benedict, yeah, it's right? not good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so all these books of his, by the way, um, I actually lo- I looked into them a little more. Right, If you look at the back cover, uh, not only will you see that one of them has a blurb from a WorldNet Daily writer who has come up on our show before, Alex Newman, because he did some, ju- some stuff with the John Birch Society, uh, but also that they are published by... Coherent Publishing, Great. which you will not be surprised to learn is also owned by Patrick Wood. <laughs> it does not surprise me at all. Apart from the fact that he has enough money to own a publishing company. That's the uh, but, but you know how much money you need to own a publishing yeah, company? that's a fair point. Zero that's dollars. Point. You need zero dollars to own a point. publishing company. It may be more the fact the that he has enough money to publish even a run of books. Oh, well, okay. Fairer. Fairer. That's, uh, that's but but I'll just, uh, look, I'll end this section on Mr. Wood by asking you, Benedict, if you can guess, if you just take a guess... What state Patrick Wood lives in oh. and all of his companies are registered in? Arizona, for Fuck sure. Fuck you, nay, it's Arizona. Of course it's Arizona. <laughs> I did not know that, but it is always Arizona. <laughs> It's always Arizona. What the fuck is wrong with Arizona? I don't know. Did I don't they all just know. get stung by scorpions as babies or something? Like, what is... I don't know. Insert your joke here. Heat stroke, scorpions, snake venom. I don't fucking know. Something, something is wrong with that state. It's just fucking insane. Anyone from that state that listens to us, we love you. You're not. Oh yeah, obviously. The problem. Obviously, you're the one uh, who got the anti venom, I guess. Yeah, or, sure. Or has air conditioning. I don't know. I guess. Uh, so we start off here. We are told uh, that Jimmy Carter uh, picked a whole bunch of his advisors from a group called the Trilateral Commission. Mm-hmm. Ah, evil sounding name. It does uh, sound. And that was. It is a real organization. I mean, at least that's true. Rather than, you know, the fucking Illuminati and shit mm-hmm. who Alex Jones thinks are real. Um, but they were founded in 1973 uh, by David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski, mm. who, as a matter of fact, is, as he notes, the father of Mika Brzezinski, the MSNBC host. Did she? I don't think she changed her last name when she did no, she What's-His-Face, right? I don't think she, she did. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, but so in uh, in this book, Wood's book, Technocracy Rising, which we just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and just to let you know, a, a good portion of this chapter today is, again, block quotes from that book, from yeah, Patrick it's Wood's book. It's literally either, a book report. Also, it's either that or it's it's in, uh, from an, a phone conversation that the author, which again, remember, is not actually Alex, had with Patrick Wood. It's just transcriptions of that, or probably just a much better written version of what was said on the telephone, if yeah, I had to guess. I would say so. And the the funny thing about this first introduction to Technocracy Rising is he full names him, so he, like, President James Earl Carter's him, yeah. which I didn't know was his name, and my brain auto-completed to James Earl Jones. And <laughs> I, they just made it infinitely cooler. Like, hey, James Earl Jones for president, man. Uh, sure, uh, let's I don't go. Think he's that much older than our current president. No. <laughs> but he does include this block quote, which I will uh, read for you, which does say, quote, President James Earl Carter 
the Georgia peanut farmer turned politician who promised I will never lie to you, was chosen to join the commission by Brzezinski in 1973. It was Brzezinski, in fact, who first identified Carter as presidential timber and subsequently educated him in economics, foreign policy, and the ins and outs of world politics. Upon Carter's election, his first appointment placed Brzezinski as assistant to the president for national security matters. More commonly, he was called the head of the National Security Council because he only answered to the president. Some rightly said Brzezinski held the second most powerful position in the United States. Um, and I, again, tried several times Googling various versions of Brzezinski, second most powerful, Brzezinski, powerful position, got nothing. Nobody fucking called him the second most powerful person in the United States. Yeah, also, He was influential, I, for sure, yeah. but, but it, it's literally like Patrick... Patrick is the one who called him the most well, second most powerful person I, I in the I also US. think it's because, um, like, that's the legacy of Kissinger, who did hold that position and was the second most powerful person in the United States. But he was also Secretary of State. Well, that was because, I think that's because of the amount of influence Kissinger actually had. Like, Kissinger legitimately was incredibly influential on yeah, policy issues. That, that, but that's what... The, I think he's just trying to draw a through line between having that be. position and be. making you, you know... You're always trying to be too fair to these people. No, I'm not. Whereas I'm just, I'm just trying no, to no, shit No, no, I'm on saying them. I think he's an idiot because that was very <laughs> specifically around Kissinger and his influence rather than like the... Like Michael Flynn wasn't the second most no. influential person oh, in the God, United no. States despite I having that, wasn't. holding that I position. really hope he fucking well, wasn't. He might, you know what? He might have been actually, <laughs> but... I don't know. Depending on how much larger QAnon grows, he might be in the future. Yeah. Uh, but he continues saying about that block quote we just got. That's certainly not a bad position in which to find yourself. Second only in power to the president of the United States. Who wouldn't want that gig? Especially if it came without the need to do any campaign. More bad writing. Like, just, it it, just leave it. Like, yeah, obviously that's good. Mm-hmm. Duh. Yeah. But now we get we get some uh, insight into the origins of the globalists, uh, where he says, quote, Woods identifies the roots of this globalist movement as beginning with the French philosopher Auguste Comte, 1798 to 1857, we're conveniently told, generally credited as the, being the father of modern sociology and considered the first philosopher of science. And I will just note that I sent this uh, paragraph to an actual philosopher, uh, our buddy Aaron, over at Embrace the Boy uh, earlier today, and got back uh, a solid LOL. I got a solid <laughs> LOL. The French are at it again out of that, is basically what I got. <laughs> the French are at it again. The French are always at it. So I guess Alex, who has always maintained himself as the preeminent philosopher uh, or, or uh, historian of the globalists, is now allowing this Patrick Woods guy to make all these decisions about where these things began, even if they directly contradict things Alex has said in the past, because Alex has most definitely said that the globalists exist before Auguste Comte, right? Like... <laughs> This is a thing that goes back all the way to the founding, according yeah. to Alex. You know, because you, Alex got his conspiracies from the fucking Illuminati bullshit that John Birch Society also, was saying. Also, you know who else was the first like first globalists? The Mongol Empire for wanting the whole oh. world to be <laughs> in the Mongol Empire. Hey, take it fucking back further. Take it fucking back further, man. Yeah, uh, uh, you could say uh, the Roman Empire were the first globalists. because I mean, I, I was going to go for... Um, why am I blanking on the name of the king of Macedonia? Why the fuck Alexander am I blanking on that? Alexander. Yeah, why the fuck was I blanking well, I on Alexander the Great? It would be Philip. Philip II, <laughs> if anything. 
<laughs> okay, but Alex cried when he saw there was nothing left to conquer, man. Uh, so he continues a little further down. For those who came to identify as progressives, namely those who believe human society is evolving toward perfection. That is not the definition of progressivism, yeah, not, by the way. That is not. That is not at all. Uh, this religion of technocrats, dubbed technocracy by its creators, offered a useful path toward the achievement of their utopian dreams, uh, as Wood explains. Th- those two sentences have nothing to do with each other. No. Most, no, I mean, most, pro- most progressives want nothing to do with technocracy. And I'll, I'll admit that, that that one word there, namely those, so he says, namely those who believe, is hedging f- fucking hard. Because there might be some progressives who believe in a technocracy. Yeah, okay. Again, I'm doing what you usually do yeah, here, yeah. giving him too much credit. No, and I really that. shouldn't. Fuck that guy. I really shouldn't be doing that. But the, the, what we get from Patrick Wood now is, quote, Industrialization was enabled by science, technology, and invention. As knowledge increased, it was surmised that society must change along with it, or at the least adapt to it. Progressives called for bigger government run by qualified managers with diminishing personal liberty and national sovereignty. But they simultaneously fought to reduce waste and increase efficiency in government. The emphasis on efficiency drove many progressives into technocracy, since science appeared to be the only pathway to achieve it. Okay, quickly on that. He's like, the world's changed, and these people want us to react to that? Disgusting. (laughs) Also, I think it becomes clearer there... That, like, okay, maybe if you're talking about the 1920s version of progressives and what that means, maybe you're accurate in that sense. Yeah. Possibly. Seems know. to be what he's talking about there? Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. Also, I mean, technocracy in the 20s is simply not the same as what technocracy means now. No, because it really is. It just, like, just fundamentally is not the same. Also, it is high school sophomore level writing. His analysis <laughs> then becomes... It, oh, can, it can then be seen. That's not even the worst of it. Oh, there's, I mean, you read it too, right? There's some bad stuff. There's some bad writing, just straight up bad writing yeah, coming up for someone from this spent guy. Most of chapter one accusing someone else of being a bad writer. <laughs> it really like. And then he goes to call this guy a fucking genius when he yeah. writes like a fucking eleventh grader. Yep. Oh god. But he says after that quote, it can then be seen how this new technocracy might interact with other such ideologies, such as progressivism, socialism, fascism, and even capitalism. What does that mean? What does that sentence mean? It is That is a meaningless sentence. Some things well, that happen in the world are affected by other things that happen in the world. You know how so, he, like, he, he said a thing. Fuck up. He said a thing. Yeah. And then so, you know, it can be seen. That's all you need to do. It can then it be, can seen. be seen. Also, I like that he cynically <laughs> mistakes defines... were made, Benedict. Yeah, mistakes, mistakes are were always made. fucking made. I like that he cynically <laughs> defines democracy as republicanism. Yes, than... <laughs> I was about to get to that. How dare you steal my thunder Sorry, on that go one? Ahead, go ahead. Ah, God. You know, I always point it out whenever that fucking happens because yeah. we always get it. Yeah. We always fucking get He's like, it. Don't listen to what I normally say about democracy. This is the good kind of democracy. Oh, so right after what I just read to you, he says, "Quote the." Scientists and engineers would then be in control of society, but without having to contend with the pesky problems of democracy and individual rights. And then, a parenthetical that is the remainder of the paragraph, which is, quote, When I speak of democracy, my readers understand I'm not talking about a pure democracy, but our constitutional republic, a system of majority rule and minority rights, in which elected representatives are given authority to make decisions that they must defend at the next election if they wish to remain in office. So... It's a republic, not a democracy. Yeah, yeah Benedict but I'm going to call me. it. Thanks a, a fucking lot. Thanks a fucking lot. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but so it says, you know, basically, you know, all these groups in history, 
they took a lot of ideas from the technocrats, uh, but they didn't really want technocracy. Even Nazis didn't want technocracy. That's how bad technocracy is. It's worse than Nazism, Benedict. Mm. Worse than Nazism. Wow. And, uh, you know, he says that, you know, it could have happened at World War I, uh, but it didn't, apparently. I guess. Sure. Uh, there, and there's then all the these Roaring ideas. 20s came after World War One, just so that you know that he knows that. Yep, yep. He drops, uh, I mean, this is just for you and me, but he drops a reference to the new school, uh, which I enjoy. Yep. Uh, and, and then uh, it tells us it, it could have happened in the Great Depression. You know, could have had technocracy then. And I think but he sort of the, hints that we did get it, but we yeah, didn't no, really. It, they tried to bring it in. It's unclear exactly what he's saying. He says, quote, It was only with the arrival of the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression in the United States that an opportunity arose for the technocrats, as Wood recounts, and I'm going to skip the, mo- the beginning of the block quote and get to something later on, where he says, quote, The engineers, scientists, and technicians who would operate this technocratic utopia would eliminate all waste and corruption. People would only have to work 20 hours per week, and every person would have a job. Abundance would be everywhere. And wouldn't that and be nice? He- and then he tells us that FDR didn't adopt uh, technocracy. Just also, some of their ideas. Just a quick question. When he says, I, I, I don't know if this is the case because I haven't read enough about it, but when he says confiscating the gold of private citizens is one of the ideas, is that just taxes or did he just have people going <laughs> around door to door? So that is something that did come up in our review of uh, None Dare Call It Conspiracy, the patron-only review we did of None Dare Call oh, It okay. Conspiracy, if you remember. I blacked those out as soon as we finished At them. one like, point... I literally removed them from my memory <laughs> as soon as we stopped recording. At one point, there was a limitation put on the amount of gold a person could own. Uh, and the rest was, like, uh, 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 bought. It wasn't confiscated. It was It was bought. So, so it was buybacks. Yeah, okay. there was just a maximum amount of gold you could own, and the government would buy any other gold that you had. That was it. And that's that's confisc- That's not confiscation. I mean, it's limitations. I don't know. It's stupid. But, it, you know, these people are all gold bugs. They're all fucking gold bugs. This guy, th- <laughs> because um, Wood, uh, of course, is a, a, a wannabe Austrian economist. I can find no evidence that he ever held a job in any sort of finance or stock broker edge or anything like that. All I can find that he's been doing this wackadoo conspiracy shit for about 30 years now. That's all I can find. That seems to be the only career he's had of note that I'm able to find. Uh, but they're all obsessed with gold. All the fucking Austrians, they're all obsessed with gold. We, we've been over that plenty of times. But he says about this that, you know, FDR didn't want to give power to the technocrats, and a block paragraph from Wood tells us why, where it's, quote, In any case, American democracy was found to be unwilling to entertain technocracy, and it was soundly repudiated for all of these reasons. And then he gives us a literal bulleted list. One, national sovereignty and the constitutional forms of government were not dispensable. Two, nobody is willing to give up private property or the possibility of accumulating accumulating private wealth. Three, the apparent similarities between technocracy, Inc., and Nazi fascism were abhorrent to most Americans. Sure. And four, the grandiose promises of technocracy were seen as so much free lunch, and toward the end of the Great Depression, everybody knew from experience that there was no such thing. I laughed out loud at that (laughs) one. You know how at the end of uh, the Great Depression... Everybody was saying, man, I really wish the government would have done less to help us. <laughs> well, some people do say that. Some people. 
Some people. People, people who, who were rich during the Great it. Depression. Yeah, exactly. Or did not live during it. Yes, I know. God. So then he brings up Operation... Ben Shapiro thinks the government should have done less. Right, right. For and, example. And as we've covered, uh, Ben Shapiro's a dipshit. Uh, so next he brings up Operation Paperclip. <laughs> as the official position of this podcast. Oh, oh, I'll put it down on paper. I will put it... We will have a official positions of the podcast page on the website, nygbcpod.com. I will create it tonight. Top one, Ben Shapiro is a dipshit. That will be on our official positions page, Benedict. All in favor, say aye. 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 All right. Two to none. The the motion passes. So next he talks about Operation Paperclip, uh, which, of course, Alex loves to talk about. And so do all... I mean, a lot of people like to talk about Operation Paperclip, but, you know, Alex likes to use it as proof of his conspiracies, which it really isn't. Um, was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? I don't fucking know. I really don't fucking know. Werner von Braun is dead. Um, I don't know whether we should have taken the top scientists or not. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I just don't. But, uh, you know, they're all about it. But he says, you know, the technocrats didn't win after World War II. They still couldn't take over. But there were some Nazis over here now because of Operation Paperclip is the gist of it. Right. So there were also some, also some Nazis around the world because of some fucking rat lines that the CIA exist, helped establish. So yeah, you know, there, there's also some some Nazis out there because Alex Jones spent a good part of the early parts of his career openly appealing to white supremacists and the militia movement, um, which actively helped to spread their ideology. But he doesn't want to talk about those Nazis. So so well, let's just move on. Let's yeah, just move sure. it on. And he conveniently, and this is something I always like to note when authors we read do this, gives us the uh, three asterisks to indicate he's moving on to a different Perfect. idea or topic or something. Although he's going to stay on the exact same topic. Yes. He just sort of wanted a page break. So he says that Patrick Wood was kind enough to give an interview to me. By which I mean Alex Jones is literally the largest platform Patrick Wood could possibly get. Mm-hmm. So I guess he was kind enough to give an interview to really, Alex like, Jones. He describes his physical features as well. He, he does. And, oh, that, by the way, Google Google him right I have, now. Yeah, he does not okay. look anything like as described. He looks like a cheap Glenn Beck costume. He does, yeah. That's what he fucking looks like yes. to me. That was the only thing I could think when I was looking at him. Like bearded, depressed Glenn Beck, uh, who really is trying to pull so, off. So Glenn Beck. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, But he tells us now, quote, Wood's interest in technocracy began shortly after the 1976 presidential election of Jimmy Carter and his vice president, Walter Mondale. Uh, And the block quote we get tells us that he he was, you know, wondering who would Jimmy Carter bring into the administration? This is essentially the CFR thing. Like it's a it's a variation of the CFR thing. Yes. Trilateral commission CFR. It's just another shadowy cabal controlling the president. who has the real power. Sure. You know, when none dare call it conspiracy was written, to be fair, the trilateral commission didn't exist yet. Sure, so that would have been they, better. They could. They, it, this is a better one because it. Oh, it but, sounds you know. much more evil than the CFR, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's maybe a, the CFR is a bit more subtle then. I. I, I don't know. I think as a boogeyman, trilateral commission is a much more interesting word to throw out. I think it has a hint of evil just in like the does, yeah. the the pentamic diameter or whatever the fuck it is the. The the bleh, the word for syllables, the syllabic meter, the syllabic meter of the phrase the makes it sound more ominous. 
what was I looking for? What was the phrase the that was rattling around? The phrase is iambic pentameter. Yeah, that <laughs> thing. I don't know what the fuck it means. I know it has to do with syllables. It, it, it's I not connected this, syllables it's to the, that. It's the type of verse that Shakespeare wrote in. Which yeah. is, is made exactly, up of... Exactly, of... look, you sure. ask me what I know about poetry, and it comes down to one word, syllables. Yeah. That's all I know about poetry. All right, that's so, fine. <laughs> Alex tells us, quote, In our interview, I began by asking him to explain the role played by Zbigniew Brzezin... Brzezin- that, look, Polish names, as a uh, person tough. of Polish <laughs> descent... Those are those are fucking. They should all be changed. They should all be changed, like my ancestor did when they came to this country, and nobody could fucking pronounce our last name. Um, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Henry Kissinger, and David Rockefeller. Those are the three people that he apparently asked about uh, in this first question. And there's also a second part of the question. I also asked about the Trilateral Commission and its subsequent evolution into the World Economic Forum created by Klaus Schwab and his designation of the Forced Industrial Revolution slash Great Reset. So, apparently, according to Alex... The Trilateral Commission, which, by the way, still exists and is not part of the World Economic Forum, evolved into the World Economic Forum, is how that worked, right. apparently. That seems wrong. It is wrong. It okay. is wrong, as a matter of fact. It also brought up, in my mind, um, what about the UN? How what is, The UN has to tie into this, because we know that this is all, all this ideology goes back, back to JBS stuff, mm-hmm. and the UN was the original you know, beginning of this conspiracy. I'm not even beginning, right? It goes back to the Illuminati. We know that. But the fucking UN was a big leap forward to this conspiracy. So why are they why are they ignoring that? Why are they not talking about how that's... It was founded long before the Trilateral Commission. Just pointing it out, man. Think it's a weird coincidence, man. All I'm right. just asking questions, man. <laughs> Moving on. So Wood says, quote, Let's start with the Trilateral Commission, founded in 1973. That was the beginning of modern globalization. What happened in the years before 1973 was largely unsuccessful, and the global elite knew that. So they embarked on a new mission with the Trilateral Commission to essentially do an end run around national sovereignty around the world. Dun, dun, dun! Sovereignty, I think, is going to be a big buzz phrase for us in this book. I think so, I think it's probably going to be popping up a lot. But after, there's a whole boring bullshit rest of that block quote that I'm not going to read. Alex says, quote, The outlines of the story Patrick Wood told were clear and easy to follow. This technocracy idea, a world run by engineers and scientists, was essentially developed in the late 19th century and found an academic home at Columbia University in the 1930s. The philosophy did not sway Franklin Roosevelt, but did sway Adolf Hitler, who depended not on politicians, but scientists and engineers to run his Third Reich. Which is wrong. It's pretty plainly wrong, right? (laughs) Like. What do you think uh, yes. Hitler was? Goebbels, the famous scientist. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those things where, like, it always goes back to this pop culture bullshit, right? Yeah. And in all your pop culture stuff about the Nazis, there's always a Nazi scientist. Oh, right? always. Yeah, because of fucking Mengele. That's yeah. why. Because they right. did horrible experiments and it, as part of the genocide that they did. Right, like the Captain America movie, right? All the fucking Nazi scientists, a bunch of weirdo Nazi scientists. That shit is always in and there. And to be fair, they there were a, they did do a lot of fucking experiments because they were eugenicists and they were doing a yeah. lot of 
evil biological experiments. And like the and then the other thing that always comes up again is Werner von Braun because of Project Paperclip and that shit, and he was a rocket scientist. So people have this vision of the Nazis in their heads that doesn't square with the reality of the Nazi leadership, who were all politicians, right? Yeah. None of them were fucking it's scientists. Like being like, oh, the U.S. was run by Robert Oppenheimer. No, it fucking wasn't. <laughs> I just love that a lot. But skipping down a little ways, he says, quote, I think it's important to understand that technocracy can't accurately be called communism or democracy. It is best understood as a monopoly on power held jointly by big business and big government. So otherwise is... not a monopoly. Okay, but Benedict, remember, that's the definition he gave us for fascism. Yeah. <laughs> that's, fascism, that is. Kevin, fascism is technocracy. Catch up. Second of all, I, you know what? If it's yep. if something is held jointly by two things, it is not a monopoly. <laughs> it is uh, an ol- it's a it's a yeah. duopoly at worst. Du- it's a duopoly. Yeah. You are correct, yeah. you pedantic dickbag. <laughs> you are correct. Maybe even an oligopoly because yeah, sure. big business is more than one business. But we learned that apparently, you know, they didn't want to try this out. The trilateral mission. They didn't want to try this out in the United States. Uh, so they needed another place. And where did they go, Benedict? China. To China. Always China. And then, 50 years later, Hillary Rodham Clinton wore silk. <laughs> Step one, open up China to the world. Step yep. two, impose technocracy. Step three, Hillary Clinton wears silk. Nailed mm-hmm. it. So uh, he does, like, the, as, as all conspiracy theorists do, he touches on something that is true, which is that the Jimmy Henry Carter... is a dick bag, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But Jimmy Carter and Zbigniew Brzezinski did, uh, you know, actively engage with China to open them up to the West. Yeah. As a means so of opposing the Soviet Union. Nixon. That's like a Nixon did, thing. and then obviously when Nixon left office, then, you know, you end up with Jimmy Carter, and Jimmy Carter is continuing upon you know, what had begun under Nixon. So that, yeah, it's it, funny it was that he doesn't really mention Nixon as part of this, who definitely started the process of opening China up to the world. No, but. and to be fair, I don't know where Alex currently sits on Nixon, because in the past, he, he would like call him Kissinger, corrupt. For sure. Well, so. but he's a huge, uh, free, real big friend of Roger Stone, who, uh, if you okay. recall, has a Nixon tattoo on the yes. on middle of his back, right? Cool. Um, so I don't know, dude, honestly. Okay. Carry on. Really weird dude. But Roger Stone has been a huge influence on Alex. So I don't know where Alex has landed on a lot of things because of Roger, but he continues and he says, the technocrats finally reached the center of American power in the 1970s after more than 40 years of effort and could begin putting their plans into action, starting with a test case for their ambitions, their choice, not the United States where they knew they'd run into predictable opposition. Instead, the technocrats co- chose China, as Wood explained. And skipping down a ways into this block quote, he says, quote, Brzezinski did not teach China about free market economics or capitalism. He taught them about technocracy. That's one reason the ascendance of China have been so dramatic. They have excelled at using that, exploiting it, expanding it, and exporting it to the world. China is the poster child for technocracy. They have perfected surveillance, artificial intelligence, the use of social credit scores to keep their citizens in line, and strong-arming the population, forcing them to do whatever they want. If they don't comply willingly, they just start shooting them. That is basically the story of China and how it came to be where it is today. And if you think that is the story of China, that Zbigniew Brzezinski taught them technocracy... (laughs) You're kind of fucking lost, man. Yeah, and You're kind also of fucking probably a bit lost. racist. I mean, it is. There was an element I was thinking of when I was reading that of 
you know, this is very much the othering of the Chinese taking yeah. away their their agency, uh, agency, <laughs> right? Um, there's there's a lot of that that happens uh, with a lot of these these people we talk about in this book, uh, but we then get this apparent uh, communique between Zbigniew Brzezinski and Deng Xiaoping uh, on May 21st, 1978, and it does exist. This actually does exist. Uh, this is something you can find on the uh, USC uh, U.S. China Institute website, uh, and it's uh, like I think it's like a it's not an exact tr- uh, uh, transcript of what they had said, but it's like a, I think it's like a, uh, I don't remember exactly. But uh, the only part that needs to be highlighted out of it, but and the reason why he's highlighting it, is that at some point Brzezinski said, quote, We start with the premise, which we have already accepted before, that there is only one China, not one and a half Chinas, or two Chinas, or China and Taiwan. For us, there is only one China. And that's been the basis that, for American foreign policy for some time. Well, Alex says about that, quote, One doesn't need to be a diplomat to understand where you're being betrayed. Brzezinski was clearly throwing Taiwan overboard in favor of China, and in return, Brzezinski seemed to be begging the Chinese not to do anything that would unduly alarm the wary American public. Um, and what what I read there is uh, basically referring to what's called the Shanghai Communique. Mm. The Shanghai Communique is the statement that is, Hey, there's only one China, wink, wink. Ah, yeah. We're not going to talk about Taiwan. We're not going to talk about it. Which is the U.S.'s policy on Taiwan yeah, to this remains, day. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was trying so, to say I phrased it badly. But yes, that is pretty much the how it yeah, goes. Critique the policy all you want, whether you think it's good or bad. Pre- pretending that what Brzezinski did was some major change in policy or some big thing when it's literally just the same thing we've done for the entirety of our relationship with China. Mm. Like, uh, not exactly. Uh, and then we get a part in here where he's just mad that uh, China Daily wrote an, uh, an obituary for Brzezinski. And I don't really care about that, so I'm not going to talk about it at all. But continuing on, we get to page 44, for your reference, Benedict, where he says, quote, The narrative of Patrick Wood conforms to the known facts about the early Trilateral Commission and China's entry into the global economic community. These were not low-level government employees. They were the top officials in our government, and they were enacting plans they'd never discussed among the American public. What are those, by the way? He doesn't bother to say. They would need to be present in every administration, every presidential administration going forward, as Wood detailed the various administrations. And this is this is just deep state, deep state stuff. That's all that is. Is is you know they couldn't get this work done uh, in one administration. They had to they had to stay in government. They had to be there forever and mm-hmm. stay around. And you can't get rid of them. And Wood wrote about that quote: "These technocrats have represented left and right, liberal and conservative. The political labels mean nothing to them." They operated throughout the Reagan administration. George H.W. Bush was a member of the Trilateral Commission. Then you had Bill Clinton and Al Gore, both of whom were members. Blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. And then he gets to the last paragraph of that, which is, quote, The same thing happened, maybe to a lesser extent, in the Trump administration. And now you have the Biden administration. Because, of course. Sure. that, That is just a description of who the presidents are. Yes, I mean, like... It's just, yeah, presidents and high-level political officials, they belong to these elite clubs. Yeah. We talked about it before when it came to the CFR. Civil servants tend to work across administrations so that the government doesn't go completely dark for whole periods of time. Anyway. Well, 
But again, remember, we have to distinguish between the reality of the situation, which is that, you know, people, civil servants remain in, in the government and, you know, remain across various uh, uh, administrations, and that, you know, a number of people who are high up just sort of stay around in politics for a while. So maybe they're in one Republican administration, and then the next time a Republican is elected, they're in that administration, blah, blah, blah. And the belief of Alex and of Patrick Wood, which is that there is a global conspiracy and all these people are behind the scenes. They are really calling the shots and telling the president what to do. We have to distinguish between those two things. Yes. I wish we didn't so, have to, but we do. It really would be nice. But he says next, quote, In the interview, this being the interview uh, Alex's ghostwriter did with Patrick Wood, Wood went on to tell a curious story about Henry Kissinger simply showing up at the White House and having at least two unscheduled meetings with President Trump. And thus begins our section, which I just wrote, boot licking, <laughs> uh, in massive text at the top of the page, because that's what he's going to do for the next uh, page and a half or so. Uh, this is highly irregular as meetings are supposed to be scheduled and on the daily agenda, and yet it testifies to Kissinger's continuing influence for more than 40 years after he left the White House, despite not being able to set foot in several countries around the world who have designated him a war criminal for his actions during Vietnam. Rightly so. Yep. Rightly so. The man should be in prison. Uh, and there's this... I think he would puts be an expert. if he left the country to a number... I think, it is, yeah. Am is it Amsterdam he can't go to? Just think, well, he certainly there are a number of countries. There are a number of countries he cannot go to. Uh, so he has an excerpt from a CNN report by Chris Saliza, which I don't care about. But he says about it, quote... Saliza of CNN claimed that Kissinger's unexpected appearance was just another example of the Trump circus. A whirlwind of incompetence, just a step or two away from disaster. And yet... Given what was going on with Trump and the former FBI director, who had just been fired not 24 hours earlier, another interpretation, based on decades of work by Patrick Wood, Based on was decades plausible. of work was a fucking guess and not a fucking right. Yes, a fucking guess. And here is that other interpretation. Trump was showing his independence by firing FBI director Comey, and perhaps Kissinger went in to deliver a threat from the globalists. Kissinger may have thought it would be a secret meeting, but Trump turned the situation around by inviting the press in for a photo opportunity. Sure. Kissinger, well into his 90s, couldn't quickly scurry away, but instead sat in his chair looking like nothing more than a shriveled little troll as the press arrived. That is the first and true thing that Alex has said in this book. And he includes the photo in the book. The photo is right there. A photo. There were many photos taken that day. And of course, the fact that Donald Trump told the press that he was, you know, talking with Kissinger and all this shit. And it was obviously just them, you know, sitting in a room together and Kissinger probably, you know, having his brain roll out of his ear at Trump. Um, that, you know, the fact that all of that contradicts this this narrative of, uh, of Patrick Woods, um, all that can just be thrown out the window because of this next sentence. I defy you to look at that picture and come to any other conclusion. I can. There are many other conclusions I might be able to come to. It's great, man. It's really great. So he has to spin this story because remember, Kissinger is a long-term boogeyman of Alex, right? Obviously. He's one of the globalists. And the fact that Donald Trump had several meetings with Kissinger and spoke very highly of Kissinger has to be spun spin into that. somehow into, a oh, positive. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a trap. It was a trap laid for Kissinger, sublimely. It's just, 
It's just anyway. bootlicking, man. It's yeah. just fucking bootlicking because that's all Alex is. He's a fucking bootlicker. Uh, so we get our next set of asterisks uh, telling us we're moving on to something else. And he says, quote, I asked Patrick Wood to explain how the Trilateral Commission fed into the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. And as usual, he had a clear and concise answer. By the way, that concise answer is three paragraphs, takes up about half a page. Uh, and he says, quote, First, he says, and I'm not going to read it all in its entirety, but uh, in the early days of the Trilateral Commission, they were very reticent to come out and speak about their plans. So they were all secretive, you know? That's, 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 so that's why we can assume anything we want to about them, because they were secretive. And then he says, by comparison, the World Economic Forum is made up of the same type of people as the Trilateral Commission, but has a much broader membership. You have the media, you have lawyers, politicians, and the CEOs of giant companies. It was the same kind of people you saw in the Trilateral Commission. It has a much broader membership and a much larger one, but still the same mix of people as you saw in the Trilateral Commission. By the way, I have no evidence whether or not Patrick Wood uh, is a crypto-fascist anti-Semite or not, but I see things that, that cause me to pause. Continuing. However, the World Economic Forum is completely open about their plans. They have an extensive website with tons and tons of articles that you could get lost in. In the articles, they declare exactly what their plans are. Because they're a it's think also tank. Well, yes, that is also true. But on the next page, he's going to sort of undercut that a little bit. And also, the fact that earlier in this book, he had to apply alternate interpretations to the words he put yeah. from Klaus Schwab's book. Kind of says that maybe they're not quite so clearly spelling out. Well, they don't these spell it out. Yeah, exactly. They don't spell out. They're not. Alex they're not spelling spell out the plans out. you claim they have. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Imagine like, oh yeah, we're a think tank, but we're having some very private thoughts. <laughs> they're yeah, not yeah. for public consumption. Like. <laughs> He says, it's also important to note that the World Economic Forum is so tightly wedded to the United Nations that it can be hard to see where the two groups differ at all. Um, I, I can I can tell you where the two groups differ at all. Um, uh, one of those uh, is a large international organization that uh, has members which are countries, uh, <laughs> as well as several non-governmental organizations that advise but don't have voting rights. Um, the other is a meeting of rich people that happens once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, puts and that's out some the articles. UN, that one. And then yeah, oh, shit. I forgot. <laughs> I got them backwards. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, apparently we can't tell the UN apart from the World Economic Forum, I guess. That's that's strange. But he tells us, you know, obviously uh, there's there's the plan, the long-term plan that all these organizations use all, all over time uh, is that they know, if they know that the public isn't going to support their message, they have to lie about their ultimate plans. Why he would say that right after he says that they are all spelling out their plans clearly on their website, I don't know. No. I don't know. Maybe it's because those things don't say what he needs them to say. Always. But then he says, quote, I asked Wood if it was accurate to say that Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum were using issues such as sustainable development, climate change, and racism and gender issues as a way to divide people, making them more vulnerable to the plans of the globalists. He agreed it was a tactic they used, but said it was also a strategy to keep people from looking too closely at their plans. And skipping through half of this block quote from Wood, getting to the end of it, it says, quote, This is technocracy warmed over from the 1930s. It's a resource-based system where they will control all the resources and you and I will own nothing. In fact, Klaus Schwab even says that. You can look it up. And then there is a footnote. There is a footnote, Benedict. The footnote is just to telephone conversation with Patrick Wood. Right. That's the footnote. Awesome. 
That's the footnote. But Benedict, if you recall, I did look that up. Yeah, yeah. Because the you will own nothing thing was not said by Klaus Schwab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was from an article posted on the World Economic Forum website that is a series of eight articles of people imagining what the future may look like. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And it was a, uh, you can was. rent everything as an, and it will meet that was every that need one, yes. that you have. Yeah, yeah. It was the one that had that weird dystopian twist to it of mentioning that people were discontent who lived outside the city walls. It was that one. Yeah. Interesting. I think you should read it. Mm-hmm. I think you, Patrick Wood, should go read it. Please. Because then maybe you'd stop saying this bullshit. Oh, it's just annoying as shit to me, man. Uh, but skipping forward a little ways. <clears throat> He says, quote, probably one of the most surprising parts of my interview with Patrick Wood was when he talked about how oblivious many of the early members of the Trilateral Commission were to the unpopularity of their ideas among the public. And then we get, again, giant fucking block quote from Patrick Wood. He says, quote, we repeatedly ran into this attitude where they'd say something uh, where what they'd say is something like, well, what we're doing is for everybody's good. It's for the global good. So why would anybody take exception to it? We took exception to it, and we told them about that. But they just couldn't understand why we'd be upset about their plans to help the world. It's just crazy. I still shake my head. And the only thing I could imagine about that was Patrick Wood was one of those people who would go protest at Davos with crazy signs about the New World Order. (laughs) And he doesn't understand why were they, they weren't paying attention to him. Why weren't they paying attention to him yelling about how vaccines, uh, you know, were biochips outside of the Davos meetings? Why did nobody pay attention to him? That's really what it's all about. But then he says, quote, this is really the heartbeat of what I call scientism. Scientism sets up science as a god. It's kind of an extension of humanism in a way. It sets up science as a god that can do no wrong, and they reject any other type of moral, ethical, or biblical restraint. Oh, did I mention that uh, Patrick's a Christian nationalist? Did I bother to mention that to you? Or did I wait until this point in the chapter when it revealed itself? Yeah, Yeah, it tracks. Of course it does. Yeah. Uh, So we get a whole bunch of Alex sort of lamenting the, the God-shaped hole in these scientist, scientismists' hearts, these technocrats' hearts, uh, which is just lovely because it, it's just the same shit. I've heard Alex say that sort of shit a thousand times where it's just, oh, the, you know, imagine the motives of your enemies and then uh, why would they do that? Just because they have a God-shaped hole in their hearts. But then he moves on to another topic of his conversation with uh, with Patrick. And the, the, the subject is, quote... Uh, uh, my frustration was something I couldn't find in the writings of Klaus Schwab or the globalists. Their writings spoke abundantly of communication, collaboration, and a common set of values, but contained little information about what happened to those who, after a period of communication, simply didn't agree to their common set of values. I asked Wood if he could point me to any sources that explained how these globalists planned to deal with dissenters. This was his response. And, and before we read his response, mm. uh, I just have to point out that the, the, the reaction of these people to dissenters is, is nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. It's to do nothing because they don't care about people who don't agree with them. Uh, they, they'll try to convince them, but they know there's going to be people like Alex Jones out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that thing about what you do with to dissenters, that comes from Alex imagining what he would do to people who disagreed with him if he had his way. Yeah, because oh, something yeah. has it's to be done that. to those people in Alex's it's al- eyes. It's always that. You can't. You can't just let them 
exist, right? But Patrick Wood, uh, he responded to that by saying, quote, We can certainly see the evidence for that with all the people who've been canceled, kicked out, <laughs> thrown out, shamed, and in some cases probably murdered. I like that he qualified it with probably. Probably. Coward hour. Yeah. Probably. The pattern has been very clear. Anybody who does not agree with their narrative is in jeopardy of being removed from the scene. And then skipping down a ways. We see this in the medical community. For example, the Great Barrington Declaration, opposing the COVID-19 lockdowns, masking regulations, and vaccine mandates, had a couple hundred thousand signatures, with about 3,000 being top scientists and medical professionals. Every one of those people was canceled by the censorship culture. And mm. A, I love the idea that you can just say someone is a top blank and there's basically no criteria by which to judge that statement. So I am now, Benedict, a top lawyer. I yep. am a top lawyer. I am, in fact, I'm a tippy-top lawyer. Oh, wow. So, so I also I, like that he got the cancelled by the censorship culture the wrong... It should be censored <laughs> by the cancel culture. It's He's just got it the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. Also, the the uh, Baring, the Great Barrington Declaration, by the way... Um, that, uh, if you're thinking that was something put out by, you know, doctors or, or, or something like that, um, um, it was uh, written by the American Institute for Economic Research, uh, a libertarian think tank. That's Also, that's that is not very that. many signatures in a country of 360 million people. It's not, and particularly when you look at we're in some of those signatures, uh, fake names like Mr. Bananarama was one well, of them. Um, that's my name. <laughs> Professor Kominick Dummings was in there. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Let's get uh, this Long story short, out. there was a bunch of fake names on that, I... and it's uh, hardly any actual medical individuals besides some wackos who were willing to sign on to it on there. Uh, but uh, Alex says, I found it difficult to disagree with anything that Wood was claiming. Anybody paying attention to the media understands that in the past several years, especially since the appearance of COVID-19, there's been nothing less than an assault on free speech. The old answer to the question of speech that people believe to be wrong is more speech to counter what is believed to be false. It's the mm -hmm. same old thing. It's the same old thing we've always seen. Yep. And then he has one last question that he wanted Patrick Wood to answer. Uh, and that was uh, that although there have been suspicious deaths of dissidents in the West, I'd agree there is little hard evidence that has been presented to establish this as a pattern utilized by the powerful in our society. A, that is a lie by Alex Jones about what he believes. Because Alex believes that Bill Clinton murdered numerous people who had real secrets about him. Alex believes in the Arkansides. He absolutely does. He said it numerous mm -hmm. times. So Alex's ghostwriter fucked up there. Uh, but continuing... I asked Patrick whether he agreed that in the West it would be difficult to force these changes upon us, but if they would somehow get people to acquiesce to their plans or remain silent, that it would greatly increase their chances of success, which is not a coherent fucking question. It's not a coherent fucking question no, at all. but nothing is. But in response to that, Patrick detailed, uh, quote, a specific change to the strategy of the globalists that came about around 1974. Uh, and he tells us about this guy named Richard Gardner, who was a member of the Trilateral Commission, also, also Benedict, also on the CFR, uh, who wrote an article in Foreign Affairs, the magazine of the CFR, in 1974, titled mm -hmm. The Hard Road to World Order. Uh, and he says about that, you can find it on the internet. It's been scanned. Good. And Benedict, wouldn't you know it, 
I can find it on the internet. It has been scanned. Mm. Uh, And we'll talk about what it really says in a moment. What he said, and this is a direct quote was, and this is Wood saying that, uh, it will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion, but an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. The game changed in 1973 with the formation of the Trilateral Commission. Prior to that, you had the old-fashioned frontal assault. Then Gardner was saying there needed to be an end run around national sovereignty, and that's exactly what they've done for the past 45 or 50 years. Chipping away, death by a thousand cuts, piece by piece, eroding national sovereignty. So Benedict, uh, that article by uh, Richard Gardner in uh, uh, it, it, it's like I said it's it's on the internet it has been scanned and I do mm-hmm. have it in front of me right now um, and I think that perhaps and this is, this is me thinking this you know I don't know uh, other people might disagree other people might have other thoughts about that uh, but I think that if perhaps um, he were to go read the paragraph immediately before the part that he had quoted, Mm. Um, he might understand slightly more what this article is actually about, where he says, quote, If instant world government, charter review, and a greatly strengthened international court do not provide the answers, because those were options that he had already uh, assessed in this article and uh, said were not viable, what hope for progress is there? The answer will not satisfy those who seek, seek simple solutions to complex problems, but it comes down essentially to this. The hope for the foreseeable future lies not in building up a few ambitious central institutions of universal membership and general jurisdiction, as was envisaged at the end of last year, or last war, but rather in the much more decentralized, disorderly, and pragmatic process of inventing or adapting institutions of limited jurisdiction and selected membership to deal with specific problems on a case-by-case basis, as the necessity for cooperation is perceived by the relevant nations. Such institutions of limited jurisdiction will have a better chance of doing what must be done to make a rule of law possible among nations, providing methods for changing the law and enforcing it as it changes, and developing the perception of common interest that is prerequisite for successful cooperation i can the see article... why you didn't bother to read it it's fucking boring Jesus no the Christ. article goes on to talk extensively about intergovernmental organizations like nato seato the un the that's... article is about intergovernmental organizations yeah. that's what it's about that's and the fine. fact that it's... these governments have yeah. to cooperate with each other to come up with rules for these organizations that may affect their sovereignty yeah that's fine. Fucking ridiculous. It's still boring. It's very boring. But uh, he tells us that the European Union, uh, that's the best example of this today, because it's mm-hmm. taken over uh, every single function of the countries that it presides over. Uh, Benedict, fact yeah. check, is that true? That is not true. Ah, uh, well, well uh, but he wrote it. He wrote it here. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's wrong. Sorry. But, okay, but he said that. it. So I'm going to go with what no, you said. No, well, he said it. So that you, it's, it's his word against the European <laughs> Union. So. <laughs> okay. Okay, but Benedict, um, you... Uh, Something about um, uh, uh, goose feather pillows? I seem something to remember like that. that being a Brexit yeah, thing. Yeah, I think uh, something. Every, Kevin, everything was a Brexit <laughs> thing. But why don't I read the final few paragraphs of this first half of the chapter for us, where he says, quote, If one looks at the globalists like any other revolutionary movement, it becomes easy to understand their tactics. A frontal assault on the institutions of government was not likely to lead to success. Instead, it was important for them to work incrementally. The globalists are nothing if not patient. As we wrapped up our interview, Wood suggested three things to me. First, he suggested I read Brave New World, written by Aldous Huxley in 1933. 
Okay, reread, reread. Yeah, notably, that's true. Because Alex, Alex doesn't want to admit that he hasn't read it. You know what? Alex cites Brave New World a lot, and I don't yeah, know if he I mean, has read fair. the book. I would if I were him. I think he watched that movie that was made of it at one point, <laughs> probably, is what he got it. Um, uh, in 1933, the same year technocracy established itself at Columbia University. In Brave New World, there's no political structure, said Wood. The world is run by scientists and engineers. The book was a direct attack on technocracy. So I suggest you reread it to see what things have come to pass no, and what it wasn't, might be ahead. Because, because if it was written, published in the same year as it was established, then that's not enough turnaround time to write a book about it. Also, fun fact is Alex um, has said in the past that Aldous Huxley was a member of the Globalists and Brave right. New World was him putting out the plan of the Globalists. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Not that it was a criticism. Great. Second, he suggested I simply go to the website for the World Economic Forum and read their papers. It's all out in the open, he said. Has to be. Has to That's be. the rules. Yeah. As discussed. Third, he suggested I read the work of Israeli academic Yuval Hariri. <laughs> Probably the most, and again, Benedict, I don't know if this guy is an anti-Semite crypto-fascist, but, uh, 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 probably the most important advisor to Klaus Schwab. If you want to understand Klaus Schwab, you need to understand Yuval Hariri. He's got some pretty strange ideas. He's all about transhumanism and the singularity. His latest book is called Homo Deus, which means man is now God. Gives you a good idea of the man's humility. It's okay, just real quick, just real quick. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that. It's, it's it, the, the book is about. It means God, man. First of all, yeah. Um, and it it's the book is about. Hey, what happens if we if we advance society to a point where people are some people have the ability to live forever and build themselves into enclaves and enclosed bunkers and you know essentially alter the way create a new subspecies. <laughs> of human, basically. The Timberlake yeah. movie was better sure <laughs> while most of the while most of the rest of the world still lives as homo sapiens and you've got some homo deuses or homo dei i guess uh would be the proper plot. anyway it's fucking it, it i haven't read the book i've read sapiens which I, I didn't like as everyone as much as everyone else did and then homo deus i tried to start reading and got like just frustrated with it and put it yeah. away and now yeah. i haven't read it so. i'm just <laughs> I, and we know a later chapter title is named for him so yep. that's yeah. exciting it's exciting yeah. to get to there it's, i can't wait <laughs> but the final paragraph i promise to do all of those things but first <laughs> i can't not laugh at that but first had some other questions I wanted to know more about David Rockefeller's book where he discussed the early Trilateral Commission and the book Between Two Ages, which first brought Columbia University professor Zbigniew Brzezinski to the attention of the aged billionaire. End right. of the first half of chapter three. Who boy. God, I love this book so much. Yep. God, I love this book so much. Benedict, did we learn anything today? Uh... Maybe I my brain is mush. I can't. I'm not recording the Patreon today. Why? <laughs> okay. Well, Benedict, um, I I think uh, that uh, this was a great choice. For
for books to do. I think it I'm, is good. Yeah, I'm very I, I, happy. We're never going to reach this high again. We're not. No, so we might have to retire. <laughs> it might be a problem. It might be a problem. We might have to find somebody wackier than Alex Jones. We'll see how that goes. But anyways, uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Clifton Stuckey, Paws, Lilith210, A Baby, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., JD, George Saulnier, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hellman, Utah Outcast, Brent Lee, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blast Me, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Can't always get what you want. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.